Hello, and welcome to Rising with the Tide. This episode is part of a mini-series of episodes from our older podcast, the Lancaster University Extinction Rebellion podcast. Enjoy! Hello and welcome. Today we'll be having Dr. Emily Heath, who is a teaching fellow uh, teaching Earth Sciences in Lancaster Environment Centre. She's been involved with a lot of green initiatives around the university and around the city. Emily? Hello, hi. Yeah, I've, um, I've worked at Lancaster University since about 1999 and I've always worked part-time so that I could spend some of my time being an environmental activist. So I've done all sorts of different things. But in the last couple of years, I've concentrated mostly on doing things at Lancaster University rather than in town. Um, so that's been an interesting journey, really, finding out more about what's going on there and, and trying to influence the university. All right. Okay. And um, just a little bit about your background um, as a scientist. You teach earth sciences. So what exactly sort of got you interested in uh, this degree and, and in, in this field? Um, well, I did a first degree in geophysics um, in the hmm. early 1990s. And then I did a PhD in volcanology at Lancaster. And um, while I was a PhD student, I got involved in environmental activism mainly because I spent part of my PhD in Milton Keynes um, working at the Open University in a lab there and I bought a bicycle for the first time in order to, to be able to get around Milton Keynes which has fantastic cycle lanes much much better than at, at the time than Lancaster's and getting into cycling kind of opened my eyes into the all you know the, the big picture of green activism and equality so I, I highly recommend cycling as a way of getting into things um, and yeah. then when I came back to Lancaster I, I then carried on um, got involved in a, a student society at the time called Green Action and I've never looked back really all right yeah it's like uh, cycling is a gateway drug yeah yeah it's <laughs> <that> kind of it's <laughs> good um, so just uh, as a follow-up to that um, since you've been involved teaching uh, and involved in in environmental groups in Lancaster um, how do you personally just sort of quite briefly how do you see the the ev evolution over time of uh, environmentalism in, in Lancaster hmm. yeah that's quite an interesting question it's a, it's a little bit hard to judge because I went from being a student activist to then being much more focused on um, green politics in Lancaster so I was a, an elected councillor for 12 years and so my focus was much more on um, very very local stuff community-based activism but I think through the whole time I've been involved there's been some kind of green group I don't necessarily mean green party but as a sort of eco-focused student society or something going on at, at the university but it, but it's peaked and troughed it's, it's come and come and gone with um, phases of activism as different people have, have joined and left I think all student societies have that that problem in a way of continuity. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the big issues, I think. Yeah. Societies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's really nice to see at the moment that there's a lot of activity, both with XR, Green Lancaster, lots of kind of very practical projects. So um, I, th I think overall, I would say there's been a bit of a shift away from kind of campaigning and a bit more towards doing. Um, but, but I'm glad to see that there's still some of both going on if you see what i mean by doing it's the kind of you know the actual kind of uh, you know growing food in the eco hub and all of that kind of thing that that yeah. that that's a relatively new thing over the last decade 
Uh, so for the benefit of Lancaster University students uh, who might want to get involved in, uh, you know, green activism or on campus, the groups that we have, for example, are Lancaster University Extinction Rebellion, which is what myself and Skanda are involved with. Uh, green Lancaster, which has, has a lot of looser affiliations with it. Um, Edible Campus sort of describes itself. They grow food. Um, the Precious Plastic Society, which, um, you know, does a lot about plastic waste. Uh, reusing plastic waste and then um, last on this list the Lancaster University Climate Emergency Group um, which is the one that Emily here is involved with so um, Emily so why did you initially get involved with the LUCE group? Yeah well I actually set this group up really because I could see that there was a gap um, this was before the LUXR group existed um, last summer in 2019 and I was partly inspired by the school strikes and, and a lot of young people getting active in um, calling for urgent change on, on the climate crisis and thinking we really need to do this at, at Lancaster University as well. So I set up the petition that we then gathered about 2,100 signatures on uh, over, over the subsequent few months and set up a group to kind of um, lead that, that campaign. And this is an informal group, so it's got staff and students on it, and um, anybody's welcome to get involved. It's not affiliated to any particular part of the university. It's just for whoever wants to get involved and, and um, be involved in whatever way you want. So we've had various quite informal meetings just to talk about different ideas of how we would uh, get this campaign, bring it to people's notice, um, maximise the number of petition signatories, and then maximise the impact that our petition had when we finally decided that we had enough signatures. So we met with uh, Simon Guy and the Vice-Chancellor. Simon Guy, who is the, um, the person in charge at the University of Sustainability, right? That's right, yeah. So he's the pro-Vice-Chancellor uh, who has sustainability as part of his remit, although it's a very big remit that includes a lot of other yeah. stuff, <laughs> um, which is a bit of a problem because we, we think that this sustainability agenda is big enough for somebody to be leading that, you know, that alone. Mm -hmm. And it kind of conflicts with some of his other portfolio areas as well. So that's going to be a tricky thing. Mm -hmm. um, but he was very willing to meet with us and the Vice-Chancellor was as well. So we, a, a few of us, met with them and talked through what we wanted, um, reiterated the demands of the petition. And they said they needed a bit of time to think about it and to work out what was doable. And we, we kind of, we were a bit disappointed, but accepted that, that you know, that might be a genuine thing. Um, so that was back in December. And then really very little has happened since then. There's been a few events that have been top-down led with, uh, Simon Guy organising a big conversation event for staff and then another one for students. Um, but we, we were fairly critical of those events in the way that they were organised and the timing of them as well. For example, the staff one being held during the UCU strike, which meant a lot of people who wanted to couldn't take part in it. Uh, so, so there's been a bit of information gathering and a bit of um, conversation about sustainability, but I don't think we've actually seen anything real happen yet other than what's been driven by the coronavirus crisis because that actually is having a really big impact just because you mentioned the the big conversation and mm. the uh yeah the the actions taken by the vice chancellor and simon guy um uh, we as as part of extinction rebellion um were really sort of shocked to see um that the event was held during a strike week you know to mm. 
that that wasn't in tune with the bigger fight of of fairness uh, for uh, during you know throughout this movement, and you know, we we did go to to protest the fact that students weren't allowed either the big conversation because it did it did feel quite um, sort of small. Yeah, small. <laughs> it was quite quite small for a big conversation. That's what we were telling them. Um, but even even for staff, it was it was quite small. Like I spoke to the whole PPR department, uh, the politics, philosophy, and religion, and mm-hmm. out of all the people that I spoke uh, to, none of them had heard. I, I spoke to about ten lectures, and none of them had heard about this of this big conversation. Mm. Yeah. So it it was a little it was a start, wasn't it? But it yeah. it wasn't a very impressive event, I don't think. And and you know we're still waiting to see what comes out of it in terms of real action. Yeah. From what we got from inside, uh, we spoke to a few people after the event uh, who stopped to speak to us when we were protesting outside and they did tell us that um, some interesting things were talked about and I think we'll hopefully have someone on the show uh, in the next few weeks who was at the event who will be able to talk to us about it but from what we've heard it seems like it was a lot of talk and not a lot of specifics Um, like for example there was talk apparently of a carbon budget but no real action was taken towards that yeah, a lot of sort of ideas thrown around, but no actual commitment to carrying out these ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, contrast this with other universities that have set up their own versions of citizens' assemblies or, you know, had really um, big, inclusive debates um, coming up with ideas and, and thinking through the ramifications of all the things that need to change. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Lancaster's off to a, a slow start, really. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think that's what this is all about is... is um... I think we are. I think we can all say that we're grateful that these conversations are happening. I think the problem, at least for us, I think for Ellie and I and for LUXR, it's that these conversations are too little, too late. Yeah. Um, and especially uh, with the fact that no real action has come about when you know to take it sort of a, a very recent happenings. Um, with the COVID-19 outbreak, we've seen the power of emergencies, like how how quickly the university can mobilize to do things like cancel teachings, move everything online. Um, these things can happen and they can happen fast, but there needs to be a sense of urgency. And I think the COVID-19 outbreak has shown us that it's not a lack of, of power or lack of, of uh, resources. It's really just lack of, of sense of urgency. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. A lack of drive, um, a lack of push, I think, from, you know, the general sort of population of uh, both students and teaching staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we saw in some of the communications from senior managers at the start of this crisis, language like when we go back to business as usual. And we need to challenge that and make sure that they realise that business as usual is it can never be university business again. We have to change the, the whole structure and the way we work. And maybe this crisis will give people, I mean, for example, the fact that we're having this video conference instead of sitting together in a room somewhere uh, means that us and and everybody else has had to rapidly get used to new technologies. And those could be ways of avoiding flying in future. So we need to make sure people don't just slip Mm. into daily habits. Absolutely. Yeah, to speak um, very quickly uh, about the the university management um, 
the the actual management of the of the environment at Lancaster University. Um, you said Simon Guy has a portfolio. So the person we're going to kind of single him out, I guess, because he is the person in charge of environment and sustainability at Lancaster. His portfolio includes a lot of different titles, including, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, international um, expansion. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I was going to say one of his um, remits is to oversee the development of, of international campuses, of which Lancaster has several in different countries, and is still planning to expand with a, a new one in Leipzig being set up at the moment. Um, yeah, so some of the, the the ways in which they work are deeply unsustainable, I think, and um, but it's quite difficult to challenge. From the the big question, the university's follow up to the big conversation that was aimed at students. Uh, they discussed the sort of the three key areas of Lancaster's emissions and you know environmental problems, and the biggest one was um, you know the international um, travel between you know all the many campuses that the university has, um, and just really just international um, issues in general. Um, so yeah, it really doesn't make sense to me how the sustainable the sustainability the guy in charge of sustainability is also the guy in charge of um, you know all of this international stuff when really the two don't go hand in hand at all mm-hmm. yeah but he is also in charge of digital which could mm. be part of the solution although it mm-hmm. has its own environmental impacts of course it's not it's not carbon neutral all this video conferencing and yeah online teaching and so on um, but yes I, mm. I totally agree there are there are some real tensions there and I'm not sure whether he has really acknowledged that yet yeah would you like to quickly talk to us about what luc is currently sort of doing um or maybe i don't know if you're still as active during the crisis um as you were before but what you guys are doing and and sort of what your future plans are in a way things have been on on hold a little bit over the last few weeks Mm -hmm. partly because of the strike which i was heavily involved in being the branch secretary of the the trade union that was um leading that strike yeah. But also because now everybody's dispersed all over the place and we, we, we realise that the university really has to focus on, in the short term on dealing with this crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are slightly on hold, but we're not going, going to let it be forgotten. I think as soon as the time is right for, for uh, refocusing back on sustainability, we will ramp up the campaign um, focusing still on those six demands that we had in that original petition. We want, we want a, a target of net carbon emissions by the university by 2030. So that only gives us 10 years really, which means we have to start right, right now <laughs> this year and um, phase out all the bad things and phase in the good stuff as, as soon as we possibly can. Mm. And do it in a really democratic and transparent way as well, because I think the university has become a very hierarchical and top down organization and we need, we need to challenge that and bring back um, structures and processes that would enable people like us to have more say in what happens and feeding ideas in and wider community to change. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that uh, struck me when I, I went and visited the uh, university court uh, a few weeks ago, or what must be, feels like months ago now. <laughs> um, but yeah it, it really struck me how how far the university have gone to to deconstruct to, to just destroy any ounce of democratic process within 
university structures. Like I, I really wasn't aware of these sort of self-affirming elections and, and appointments and things like that. It, it's quite scary when you really look into it. Um, and I think, you know, we all agree. I think the environmental crisis has to be dealt with in a very democratic manner. It can't be sort of, um, it can't be fixed from the, the top up, uh, from top down, I mean. Um, and very quickly as well, um, you were, were you at the, the student and Lusu conversation for environment? So the, the sort of um, second instance of the big conversation. I don't know if you went to that. With, no. no. So there, so that was, uh, so, yeah, I think it was a strike week as well. So this was a, an event that was, um, hosted by Lusu, by the Student Union mm -hmm. of Lancaster University. And it was uh, advertised as a one hour Q&A with the management of, uh, of Lancaster, with uh, the VC and with um, Simon Guy, as well as a few other people. Um, like, I think um, Derek, is that his name? Darren, sorry, Darren, my bad. Uh, yeah. Darren, who's in charge of uh, Green Lancaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, their presentations took about uh, 40 minutes, which meant that uh, we didn't get an hour to, to ask questions and answer. Again, one, once again, a problem of, of democratization, I think, there. But something that really uh, struck me during that presentation was the data that we were shown. Um, I think the university, like every other institution, is a little bit confused as to how to calculate uh, emissions. Mm. I think that's a big problem for institutions all around the world is how, what counts as our own carbon emissions and what counts as someone else's, right? Um, and it seems like the university still hasn't figured out yet how to properly do this. Yeah, I agree. And, and also how to allocate it to different parts of the university as well so that we can all understand what our own contribution to that is. Um, so, for example, I'd, I'd love to see the data broken down by department in terms of travel, that kind of thing, so that we could, we could start to figure out why perhaps some departments have a much higher carbon footprint than others. I'm sure yeah. that will be the case, and I could guess which ones they would be, but I haven't actually seen any real data to back that up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the, the amount of urgency, I think, like we were saying, it's, it's quite scary because we had two conversations, one for staff, one for students over, what, I think a year because they, they took about since September to organize. Mm -hmm. So in yes. one academic year, we've had two conversations of a total of two hours, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, for, for something that we personally at least see as an emergency, it doesn't seem very urgent. There's no sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think as soon as we're able to, we need to mobilize people to physically come together in a space and demand um, more action and faster action. So the, the climate strike event that we did on the 20th of September, just before the start of term, so this was mm. mostly a staff-led thing, was a really nice event for bringing hundreds of people together in Alexandra Square, um, all to say we want climate action now. Um, we had some speeches, we had some music, we had uh, a kind of physical demo where we we gathered into the shape of a human globe which sort of worked <laughs> <laughs> perhaps not as well as we, we hoped it would but but at least it was a nice sort of thing to bring people together and 
I would love to do some more of that but obviously it looks at the moment like that kind of thing isn't going to be possible again until maybe October November if even Michaelmas term goes ahead as planned so perhaps we need to be thinking about other ways how can we if we can't physically get together and do this how can we exert pressure from all the different places where we, we're dispersed all over yeah I know Ellie and I had a lot of plans for uh, yeah. not obviously not just for our final final year because we're both um, graduating this year but also okay. for LUXR we had a lot of plans to sort of push for our um, eco agendas mm. um, including for example I think we were planning to try and get a single-use plastic ban on campus oh great yeah because for us it made no sense that um, for example the undergraduate conference that the university was hosting which um which i was a part of we were given two plastic water bottles each about you know 250 milliliters um <laughs> that everyone just threw away <laughs> into a random bin and of yeah. course this is a very small item and it doesn't contribute a lot in the grand scheme but it is part of the problem mm-hmm. um and i think it doesn't make sense there is no reason except laziness in my opinion yeah. for the university to not install a single use plastic ban um, but unfortunately how do we in this situation under covid-19 rules how do we um how do we push for that because our plan was to you know do some sort of occupying and and, and things like and like flyers and things like that but it's really difficult now with these uh with this lockdown yeah i I'm not sure how this could work from a student point of view, but I think one glimmer of hope is that within staff teams, there's actually been quite a bringing together of people uh, digitally over the last few weeks. Uh, For example, in my department, the Lancaster Environment Centre, we're meeting as a department three times a week online, which, you know, we actually used to physically meet about once a term. It was wasn't very often. And then it was a very sort of like just getting the, you know, the management picture of how that how the budget's doing and all of that kind of thing it's it's actually feeling much more democratic now there's there's a lot more discussion and questions and ideas and sharing of things and so perhaps one way forward is to bring the sustainability side of things in, into those agendas as soon as we've kind of settled down into new ways of working and we've got over the, the immediate kind of crisis discussions we can mm. bring bring sustainability into those forums much more actively yeah. yeah i think uh talking and and discussions are are definitely part of solving i mean it reminds me of uh, who was it hg wells i think said the uh, socialism takes too many evenings because <laughs> it takes too many discussions too many get arounds and oh and, uh, i so relate to that <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the point that you made earlier about how difficult it is to keep a consistent movement in a university because students are flowing in and out of the university. Um, Mm. I've seen that with my own sort of societies I've been involved in. It's really difficult societies that aren't um, established and aren't strong really in the university tend to just die off every few years um, and be brought back to life magically when some students feel like they they desperately want, uh, you know, uh, that society. But for an environmental movement, especially with deadlines like we have uh, for runaway climate change, it, I think it's imperative that this doesn't turn into an individualized issue and rather mm-hmm. the university sort of um, facilitates the structures 
to keep that environmental movement going, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the loose group could play a role in that because it's both staff and students working together. There will be some continuity that student societies wouldn't necessarily have. I think obviously mm. the danger to that is that staff dominate it and, and that students don't have a, a meaningful role to play and we'll try to avoid that. Or hey, maybe we could show up in numbers and dominate the, the well, staff. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's also a way to kind of keep the learning that we that we do from year to year and pass it on, you know, and, and have um, repositories of information that we can share because that's another thing that falls by the wayside. People keep reinventing the wheel because there's no handing over. Yeah what's already happened if you had to congratulate say the university on on one or two sort of things that it's really done like actions that's taken that have had real impacts um what would those be i think green lancaster would be the one i think that's been a real success story it's it's involved a lot of people there's been quite a diversity of projects run through green lancaster and it's it's it made that inter interesting kind of crossover between something that's uh kind of management led or embedded in structures like the students union and something that's got quite a lot of bottom-up influence as well with, with mm. students being able to kind of shape it and run it to some extent so and, and that's been going for quite a few years now and it seems to get better and better every year so well done green lancaster i think you're fantastic mm -hmm. we'd like more of that yeah big up to better lancaster. And, and i know that green, Lan green lancaster suffers from having quite a small budget and having to compete for money every year and, and, you know, always having to worry about how they're going to keep their projects going. So I'd love to see it even more embedded in university um, budgets and strategies so that they've got that continuity to rely on and they can just get on with delivery and not having to worry about where the money's coming from. Yeah. Ellie, um, Ellie and I have been working a lot with the budget of uh, investments to, so with LUXR, uh, some of you may have seen that we've been analyzing the the budget and seeing where our investments are going because um a few years ago i think ellie when was this in 2014 i think uh, the last time was 2014 that a yeah. information request was made uh, for the information about um which uh, how much money goes into fossil fuels and as well the arms trade oh uh, yeah it was yeah. Six, years, six years ago now, goodness. Six years, <laughs> 2014, long time ago, God. Um, but we made a Freedom of Information request more recently and got data for 2020. And after, what was it again? 70 hours, I think, uh, 70 hours of, of work, our group found uh, about about 10% of, um, was it about 10%, yeah, of investments go to fossil fuel industries or related industries that work directly for the fossil fuel industry. And about 5% went to uh, weapons manufacturer or uh, companies that had a sort of very clear hand in making weapons as well as other products. Um, so I think those are those are distinctions that we have to make very clear because uh, you know, to be fair, like some of those companies, for example, in the arms trade um, percentages don't necessarily just make weapons, but they do make in part weapons. Yeah. Um, for example, what was it, Ellie? We'd seen a, a an air ventilator company uh, that we invest in. They also make grenades. Uh, yeah. 
yeah this is a this is a good way of influencing to to divest from those industries might put pressure on them to concentrate on the good bits of the business and yeah yeah carrying on with the, the work that we're doing with that we're going to be getting together a report like a formal report um hopefully for may which simon guy told us was the next time that he was meeting mm-hmm. given the current situation i'm not so sure how well obviously that's going to go mm. yeah yeah and uh, also just to bring it back to sort of how we were supposed to mobilize in these times we had sort of very we had kind of clear plans of of what we were going to do to pressure the university if the invest if the investment policy um, that we were proposing wasn't being listened to, mm-hmm. right? But if at the investment uh, board meeting they don't really sort of listen to our suggestions and if they just dismiss us, um, it's very difficult for us to know what to do then. Uh, could do we you know do we smear the university online (laughs) like what do we post uh flyers up or on the university buildings and no one's gonna see it's it's really difficult to know how to work in activism right now i think Mm. it is but i i mean yeah i couldn't possibly encourage any particular strategy there but i would say that the university is very protective of its reputation and you know targeting the media i think and letting the world know what really goes on is quite a good way forward yeah mm. yeah and uh, i remember simon guy's um response to us when we raised the issue of the investments during the big conversation with students was that he thought we weren't being fair to the university by saying that they had been lazy in their investment policy but i mean personally i don't know how else to qualify a, how, how else to, um, to describe a university that doesn't care enough to go through its own investments to make sure they're ethical, right? Um, yeah. I, I told him if a group of students like us are able to find this and we're not even paid to do it, then why should why should they not be paid this you know six figure salary that, that he is? um yes. <laughs> not to not to personally attack him but <laughs> but uh i think i think the the criticism stands there they should be more careful and the fact that they gave us a sheet of paper that said that there were no fossil fuels and that by looking into just one of the companies we found fossil fuel investment that says a lot i think about the way the university handles environmental issues um in a sort of in a sort of like if i can't see it it's not happening kind yeah of way. yeah no it's really disappointing i think lazy is the right word because the response could have been oh we had no idea we didn't realize you know we thank you for raising it we'll sort it out how hard can that be and maybe now they will because there's the added reason of fossil fuels not doing very well in, in the coronavirus crisis um yeah i wish they would, would do it for other moral reasons but perhaps they've got financial reasons to help now as well yeah but to be fair, there were some good investments as well. Um, like we found, we did find some investments in uh, solar energy and wind energy, so renewables. Um, there were some strong investment funds in those. And I think our goal as a group, um, and I think you know, other environmental groups around Lancaster will be hopefully helping us in this, is to not only divest from the bad investments, but also to positively 
influence the uh, renewable energies market and such with our, our investment. So not just divesting from the bad, but also investing in the good. Yeah, I think that's really important and, and could be an opportunity to invest in local projects as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, because <laughs> that's something that was raised by uh, one of my professors who who is on the investment board or who was. Um, he was telling me that for years he had been trying to get that money away from the two investment companies the university invests in who then invests the university's money into fossil fuels um, and kind of move that away from the city you know and and and, and big financial hubs and more into local projects um, i think the university could be a massive funding agents for for small projects around this around lancaster city uh, or even lancashire in general yeah absolutely um i wanted to quickly ask you about um this idea of growth for the sake of growth um yeah. which has been kind of floated around a lot in ucu meetings i've heard or in in uh, student uh, circles We've seen a, a rise in numbers of, of students at Lancaster um, without, I think, a subsequent rise in services provided and in things like accommodation and things like lecture halls. Um, and at the same time, an expansion on the international level as well. Uh, could you please maybe tell us a little bit about that, what you know about those? Um, yeah, well, there has been a, a target of growing the student population by about 5% a year in recent years. and 5% um, a year? Yeah, wow. <laughs> which when you compound it, you know, I can't remember the exact doubling time, but it's, it doesn't take many years to double. So Lancaster, in the time that I've been here, sort of 25 years or so, has massively expanded. And um, you're right, I don't think that the services, the staffing levels, the counselling service and all sorts of other things have kept pace with that so we've, had, we've got all sorts of problems triggered by that um, mm -hmm. rapid rate of growth and I think what really underlies it is what well, is partly a, a financial imperative because obviously more students brings in more tuition fees and that means you can spend more on shiny buildings to get even more students um, but but it's also and I think this applies not just to universities, but to all sorts of other organisations. There's this drive to kind of be important and be a player. And I, you know, I kind of would like to see Lancaster being a bit more humble and, and realising that it's a, a relatively small university in the north of England. Um, and, it, you know, it's good that it's an excellent university. And obviously I'm not knocking that, but it can be an excellent small university. Why does it have to be an excellent big one? Mm -hmm. um, I think the, given the size of Lancaster itself, the city that we're attached to, which is also quite small, but also has big growth ambitions for really just seems like for the sake of it so that it can be more important. I think it's really important for the university to kind of not become so big that it's, it really dominates um, the town in a way that's unhealthy because there's, there's already tensions, town and gown yeah. tensions. And, the university is a brilliant positive force in Lancaster you know it brings in a lot of uh, income and culture and exciting things and that's great but if it gets too big it will it will start to feel like Lancaster is a suburb of Lancaster University and mm. um, I don't think that will be a healthy thing so I think we need to have an open conversation you know yeah. staff and students and managers about 
what is a sustainable size of a university to be and whether it might just stay that size or even contract a little bit because I think the future is not going to be as globalised as it is now and perhaps we need to rethink the whole kind of international education system and relocalise it so that each university has a kind of a, a more of a local catchment area um, mm -hmm. you know which could include northern Europe for Lancaster it, it's a train journey away rather than flying halfway around the world but that means that there is going to be a more limited market and so we need to think about you know how, how big can UK universities be without putting each other out of business and um, without relying on this very unsustainable international travel that, that we've come to depend on. Yeah, there's there's a whole conversation there about um, can can a university be be small, like you said, and still be excellent? Yeah. Um, because in my in my own opinion, what I see is that the university is very much focused on league tables. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we see it everywhere. It's become a bit of a meme around student circles, top 10, top 10, top 10. We're always told that everywhere we go um but sometimes it doesn't feel like that hype measures to to the reality we live in um we have you know for example right now when when the whole world is on lockdown students are forced to go back home to other countries sometimes and we still are asked to pay rent whereas in a lot of other universities rent has been waived for a third term um, because many students, most students actually, will not be coming back to Lancaster and have been asked by Lancaster University to not come back to the university, but still to pay rent um, to the Absolutely university. Nothing. There's no way that students should be funding what will probably be a financial crisis for the university. Over yeah, months, but and, and it, seems like, it seems like this isn't really good for their league tables because league tables, as far as I'm aware, are very heavily influenced by student satisfaction scores. Um, so I, I don't really understand the, the drive for them to be a, a top 10 uni, um, but still to grow, to grow, to grow, even at the expense of student satisfaction, which seems to be such a huge factor. Yes. So I, I think it, it doesn't, for me, at least, it doesn't seem like stopping the university's current growth and just focusing on bettering the university to me, that doesn't seem like it will lower us in any way in the in the student tables. No, I, I agree. And I, I think actually a probable driver, I don't think it's ever explicitly stated, but probably one of the drivers of the growth of, of Lancaster University is that we're not in the Russell group, which is a, a kind of elite group of quite powerful universities, all of which are bigger than Lancaster. And it's an invitation only group. So mm. Lancaster has has done what it can in terms of um, getting up the league tables to be to be a player with those elite universities but because it's still very small i think it, it's unlikely mm. to get invited to very them. young as well um yeah. let's not forget we're yeah. old as lancaster 50 years old something yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> compared to cambridge oxford and, yeah. and the likes it's it's yeah. very young that, I mean, that should be irrelevant really shouldn't it in terms yeah. of, you know power shouldn't rest with the <laughs> maybe it shouldn't rest with the big ones either maybe there should be well, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe the russell group needs to be disbanded <laughs> 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 they all have equality amongst themselves that would be a yeah 
Um, just to go back a little bit, maybe uh, with Ali to the um, to the what's happening environmentally speaking around uh, Lancaster Town. Um, could you maybe talk to us about? Have you been involved in projects around Lancaster Town as well? Um, yes, I have. I've, I've been involved in projects in town for many years now, um, mostly through the, the Green Party, which I'm a member of. But there are also other groups like um, Extinction Rebellion now is, is a big player. Uh, there was a big transitions city movement, um, which, which is still going, but I think has been slightly superseded by XR. Um, and there are all sorts of other groups um, promoting different agendas so whether it's kind of bus users or, or vegans or, or whatever there's 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 a lot going on in Lancaster for the size of, of city that it is I think it's a very vibrant green place mm. um, and it and and it it has become greener over the years because of so many people getting involved in projects getting stuck in and making things happen and finding the funding to to do things yeah, so it's a it's a really nice place to live, and you can see why a lot of graduates of Lancaster do do stay here, like I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The the uh, the pull to to stay for a master's is definitely strong. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Currently, I'm I'm personally thinking, okay, hmm, maybe hmm. I should just stay one more year, one more year. Becomes two, becomes five, becomes ten. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> becomes five in my case. <laughs> Have you been doing any work personally for climate change subjects, like scientifically speaking? Um, teaching wise, I teach a module in natural hazards at first year, okay. which includes meteorological hazards, which are obviously generally getting worse as, as climate change bites. Um, but, the, but I don't do research. That's part of the, the deal with me working part time is I, I, I focus on teaching and student support and not research. Okay. Which I have no regrets about. <laughs> and <laughs> also, it's also enabled me to have a, a life without flying as well, which I think is is quite hard as a researcher. But I hope it will get easier over the coming years. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to try and have some people over to talk about very specific issues of uh, of climate change. So if you do want to talk about um, now or another time um, about sort of meteorological. Uh, issues you're absolutely welcome to because i think we we want this to be something that students can listen to not just to learn what's happening around lancaster but also to learn about specific parts of climate change um right because when when we do our luxr sort of weekly um like info session stuff we see that a lot of students know that there's a global warming emergency and there's a, a crisis but they don't understand the the specifics of it and yeah. you know fair enough like it, it isn't i think it's not being well uh taught <laughs> i mean it seems like from what i've listened to from what i've heard from people it seems like the uh the school system doesn't really put an emphasis on this so yeah. you know why would they know about it mm. what, what would be your view on embedding it into the first year curriculum across all the programs at lancaster so that everybody gets some training in mm -hmm. sustainability and climate and biodiversity crises no matter what they're studying do you think that's a good idea interesting idea actually yeah i think um especially making something compulsory such that you know with the end result that everyone kind of knows just how bad things are and what they can do um, personally and what they can be pushing 
you know, higher up management could be doing. I think that's, yeah, that is a very interesting idea, actually. It could even be tailored to each subject, like um, yeah. economics students could be learning about climate change and economics in a yeah. sort of mandatory yeah. module. Yeah, yeah, you could tailor it, definitely. I think there's a precedent as well, because I think most students now have some training about careers in most of the years of their degree, which is usually a sort of non-credit bearing thing you have to do. Mm. Um, probably not massively popular, but, you know, at least it's a model that, that could be rolled out in a, to broaden it mm. and teach life skills, not just kind of how to get a graduate job kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i think it would, it would create more environmentally minded individuals because yeah. um something that i've been personally discovering in 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 my own research um for things like my dissertation my graduate dissertation or um in my own sort of personal reading is that the there's such an intersectionality between subjects when it comes to climate change and the environment impacts literally every topic that I can think of, right? Everything that's taught at Lancaster is in some way impacted by environment, mm. be it psychology, um, where, you know, uh, for example, eco-anxiety is, is, is sort of rising yeah. um, and that could, uh, that could impact the, the psychological fields. Um, be it you know geology obviously yeah. <laughs> things like geography geology um, but yeah it, it's yeah, I think it's astro <laughs> not so much <laughs> <laughs> surely there's something for everyone in environmental yeah. but uh, change issue. in galaxies so perhaps we need yeah. a campaign that's a bit like the why is my curriculum white campaign mm -hmm. mm. thing what's missing from everyone's curriculums I think as far no. as I know, green green politics isn't taught at Lancaster, is it? No. And no, no. green economics isn't either. And these are major disciplines, actually. You know, they they are. You know, are growing very yeah, yeah. quickly as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, they seem to be blind spots here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, it would be nice to see the university like that. That's kind of my personal conclusion: is that it would be nice to see the university change its sort of way of acting around the environment uh from an individual like minded um from an individual minded policy to a more structural policy That's right, yeah. right? And yeah we've had we've had a couple of decades of the individual approach the kind of here's some here's some nice things to do here's here's little ways you can change your lifestyle mm -hmm. here's why um and you know obviously people that are maybe a bit predisposed to be interested in that anyway have really taken that and run with it but so many other people have completely ignored it mm. i think we have to conclude that that hasn't really worked in terms of the scale of change that we need yeah, yeah. especially with the deadlines involved um before yeah. we hit runaway climate change yeah. so dates that we can't go past back on mm. um yeah I'd, I'd love to see for example the compost system that the unity has been trying out um what was it again? Uh, I think they did, they've completed one compost bin it's around the eco a test, Like a trial run they've um, Do you mean like kitchen, kitchen food waste? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Flats and that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, compost, yeah. And uh, I think that I've heard that it was plagued by rats, apparently. Because <laughs> <laughs> they've had issues with rats. Um, but, so, yeah. so embrace the rats as part of our biodiversity. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, 
yeah i guess i guess i mean if we love the ducks so much why don't we love the rats too yeah. <laughs> but um it would be nice to see the compost bins kind of being rolled out across all colleges and not just at the other end of campus and one bin uh, yeah. we've seen also a crisp packet bin at the library uh, again a great idea but i think it would be nice to see that you know pushed more and have have wide scale more. yeah and things like uh, tetra pack bins as well yeah um, yes uh, there's one around by the eco hub isn't there um but it's such a tetra pack is such a common thing you know your milk your juice everything is in tetra pack it'd be very useful to have hmm. um yeah have more bins of that but again the problem is really that we're pushing in i think in my opinion we're pushing up individuals to to take these changes upon themselves but then the structure isn't there like if i want to compost uh my food waste what am i to do if the the one bin that we have is full um you yeah. know and so. rat infested <laughs> <laughs> that too yeah um but yeah um have you heard anything about the electricity sort of use of the university because i know we have the uh, wind turbine which is always pointed to uh, by the university when asked about environmental issues uh, and and you know and fair enough i think i've personally i haven't seen another university that has its own wind turbine um but i don't know if you've heard anything about the numbers uh sort of if the university is planning to do anything more i think there are some plans at an early stage to build a second wind turbine and a solar farm to generate more electricity but I don't know what stage they're at or whether funding has been allocated. I, I suspect not. Um, but I think those are that that comes under what's called scope one and two emissions. So the university's direct energy consumption for, for heating and lighting and all, all the rest of it. Um, so basically gas and gas and electricity use. And I think those could be quite quickly reduced to zero if we did build mm. more capacity for renewables. <laughs> So I, yeah, I would make that quite a big priority for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that was something that um, sort of came out of the, the big conversation, uh, both the staff and student one, was they said, you know, scope one and two um, together were not the largest ones, but they were the easiest ones to do. And it was scope three, sort of international and transport and stuff like that. That's where they said that they were yeah. going to have the biggest problem. So I think um, the coming... Yeah, procurement. Um, so I think, yeah, in the coming months and weeks, well, months and years, I suppose, that's, I guess, where the main, well, not the main focus, but a lot of the focus should be on in trying to get the university to act on that, because it is the biggest, um, it was the biggest source of their emissions. Yeah, it's sort of a quick win, if you like, if, if, if there's the will there to do it. Mm. One thing that just worries me slightly about that is, is that it's, a very remote thing you know so building a big bit of kit somewhere doesn't involve anybody in the university other than the people that are project managing that and i think that if the university were to prioritize that and not do other things as well it would just delay the the culture change and behavior change that we need mm. so i think it needs to happen but that it needs to be alongside bringing forward the scope three um carbon reduction plan as well yeah, yeah. do you think there needs to be a, a culture change at the tops or levels of management oh absolutely yeah yeah well and at the bottom it's it's not <laughs> everywhere isn't it yeah 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 okay um i think we'll probably wrap it up around here <laughs> um but yeah thank you so much dr emily heath for 
coming along on the our first episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we, we keep it going. Yeah. Um, we just want to maybe end it with the uh, sort of tip of the week. Um, our tip of the week to stay eco-friendly around Lancaster University or Lancaster Town uh, features the shop called Single Step, which is located in uh, Lancaster Town. Address, maybe that might be good. Penny Street. <laughs> no. Oh, there we go. <laughs> we've got we've got a, a loyal customer here. Yeah. Um, it's right underneath Whale Tail. That's right. Yeah, down a little alley, off, mm. off of the upper bit of Penny Street before you get into the pedestrian precinct. Yeah, and the like, single step. Uh, I think Ellie and I have been customers for a bit now, and they they're really fantastic. They sell um, in normal time, at least, <laughs> not in COVID time. Um, they sell everything vegetable and fruit wise or produce. They sell them uh, organic, I think, and non packaged. So you can go and get loose organic products there. Uh, you can get a lot of um, sort of eco friendly products uh, from. Anything from soap to um, candles to uh, even sort of spices and nuts in um, in your own packaging, uh, even pasta. You can even go with your own packaging and, and get your, yourself a box of pasta. Um, so it's great stuff. And during this COVID-19 outbreak, they are doing deliveries and collection. Um, they have just started a bespoke box system where you can order your own box of food from them um, and you pay online I think by uh, by card so yeah um, that's been our first episode hope everyone's enjoyed it we uh, hope to bring them out at least well maybe every couple of weeks or so um, with different hosts different guests um, covering you know a wide range of topics both sort of rather specific and on the you know wider view of things so thank you very much for joining us and thank you to dr emily heath as well thank you thank you bye, bye.